0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to the Ten Twelve Podcast that covers all ten teams in the Big Twelve Conference, plus BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. With the flagship show, the 1012 network, and partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for all things sports and not sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on our mid-week episode, a loaded show for you today. Loaded show. We're having another debate as to who should be the leader in the clubhouse for the Big 12 player of the year on the men's side. We're talking Mike Miles versus Jalen Wilson, Liz Marquez. And Andy Mitz joining us to bring their opinions on the TCU and Kansas Stars. Then Sam Phillips of the Pen 12 podcast, one half of that fantastic Big 12 wrestling show, coming on to talk a little bit of Big 12 wrestling and quite a bit of Iowa State wrestling to give them their due. Then we're going to wrap things up with a returning guest that I'm excited to have here UCF softball head coach Cindy Ball Malone. A fantastic 2022 season for UCF. A A lot of expectation for 2023. We're going to talk about those expectations, some names you need to know, an incredible schedule, and a few more of her thoughts about the upcoming season. Loaded show, fantastic guests. You guys are going to love this one. We're keeping you well-rounded. All you need to know about Big 12. Speaking of, Dennis Dodd of CBS put out an article that we need to talk about. It is involving a couple of things. One, the potential early exit of Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. And two, why the Big 12, specifically the eight remaining schools, are now incentivized to have them leave early. So here's what the article explains. The eight legacy schools, the eight remaining schools, that would be Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, and West Virginia have agreed to give up $16 million over the next two years, that's $8 million per year, for 23 and 24 of the $42 million that comes in from TV revenue to give that money to the four incoming schools, that being UCF, Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Each of the new schools will receive about 18 to $19 million, and they will be full-fledged members under the new contract in 2025. So a reminder, the four schools that are coming in are coming in before the end of the current TV contract. So the eight remaining schools are going to give them some of their money just to give them a financial bump. So that means that the eight remaining have incentive to get OU and Texas to leave early, something that those two teams would like. To quote the Dodd article, should an early exit by Texas and Oklahoma from the Big 12 be agreed upon, the negotiated financial penalties associated with those departures would be utilized to aid the conference's expansion. Those monies would help make whole the eight legacy Big 12 programs whose media rights payouts are being diluted to help fund the arrival of the league's four newest members. So basically... The eight remaining would like OU and Texas to leave early and pay a big old buyout to make themselves financially whole. Yes, technically OU and Texas contractually owe reportedly as much as $168 million if they leave early. But according to Dodd in the article, such a penalty would likely be negotiated down to about 60 to 65% of the original total, industry sources say. So, doing a little math, that would be somewhere between 100.8 and 109 million dollars if the 168 number is accurate. At this point, and as we have thought for a bit, the best thing for everyone involved is for Oklahoma and Texas to leave after this upcoming season. Let's have a wild and wacky 2023, and then let's get on with things. The SEC's new contract starts in 2024. ESPN would be happy to have Oklahoma and Texas part of the SEC for that. That's a big incentive for them. According to the Dodd article, while there has been buzz growing that a deal for Texas and Oklahoma to depart for the SEC early is near, there is no evidence of formal negotiations. The Longhorns and Sooners originally committed to the Big 12 through the term of the contract deal when the new commissioner, Brett Yarmark, younger hipper cooler, took over in August. However, their stances changed about a month later, sources said. So, what is the big thing potentially holding up OU and Texas's early exit, aside from what they'd had to pay out? Well, that would be Fox. Remember how I mentioned Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC benefits ESPN, who currently holds a big chunk of the Big 12's contract. Well, the problem is that that would be bad for Fox back to Dodd's article for there to be any new agreement on an early exit Fox would have to be compensated for the loss of Texas and Oklahoma from its existing deal. ESPN would retain Texas and Oklahoma's rights as part of its SEC deal. CBS Sports reported last month that compensation could come in the form of the Longhorns and suitors playing non-conference games in Big 12 stadiums after they joined the SEC. Such an agreement was called using games as currency. They would have to play games in the Big 12 footprint so Fox and ESPN can have value, an industry source told CBS Sports. If ESPN and Fox are happy, the Big 12 would be happy. It's complicated to make this early move happen. That's why we heard some news and why it's gone quiet again. I think all parties are working towards an early exit for Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. I think it's most likely that would happen the summer of 24, one year early. We get one wild and wacky year. It's not official yet, but at this point, I would lean they do. Unless they can't find a way to make Fox happy, then they're sticking around. TV controls a lot of this, folks. They just do. They absolutely do. All right, before we get to our guest, one other thing. Uh, we got to do our power ratings. Our men's basketball power ratings. Our hoops power ratings. We do here, here on the midweek episode each week. So let's start with this. Number one, Kansas State. Look, we're picking nits here with Kansas State and Iowa State. Yes. Iowa State beat Kansas State in Ames. But I'm giving the Wildcats the slight edge despite that. I just am. Because – I would pick Kansas State to beat Iowa State in Manhattan. So I'm just, I'm having a hard time being like, well, Iowa State won, so they're better. If you want to play that game, that's fine. I don't. It was a close game. I'm going to go with Kansas State at this point. Fun fact, Kansas State uh, is 4-0 in overtime this year. Iowa State, number two, let's call it 1B. Because really, that's how close these two teams are to me. Just not much separating them at this point. Number three is Texas. They have moved up. Look, they're they're third in the standings because technically they're tied for first with Kansas State and Iowa State at 6-2 in conference play, at the same number of losses overall as Kansas State. The job Rodney Terry is doing at Texas is fantastic, and Texas has been very good. Even though I'm going to keep them here, I will note this. According to CBB Analytics, they are fifth in the Big 12 in net rating. That is an average of offensive rating and defensive rating. Plus 2.7. Ranked 200th in the country. That's behind Baylor, Kansas State, TCU, and Iowa State. But as well as Texas has played, and the record is what it is, I'm going to keep them here. Now, Texas has a more difficult schedule coming up, so we'll see how long that lacks. Number four, TCU. You blow out Kansas, no you, you rise up. And as I mentioned, number two in the net rating, according to CBB Analytics, is TCU. They're... They're they're pretty solid, to be honest. In fact, I keep praising Oklahoma State's defense as the second best in the Big 12 as a season overall. Yes. But TCU in conference play, second best defensive rating. at 98.5. Thanks them 99th. It's two spots behind Iowa State's fantastic defense. And uh, 23 spots ahead of Iowa State. Their offense is also in the green. It's a positive. It's fifth best in the conference. It's good. It's good stuff. I think they're going to keep moving up. Baylor at number five. Baylor's now won five in a row. They've won 12 of their last 13 games versus AP top 10 opponents. Time for the best 13 game stretch versus top 10 teams in division one history. They're currently fourth in the net ratings in the big 12 in conference. The problem is this. Hold on, hold on, wait, before I get to that point. Number six is Kansas. They're six in the standings, six in the net rating in conference play, according to CPP Analytics. They're on a three-game losing streak. And yes, we've made the joke about them having three-game losing streaks in the past. They'll, you know, make things interesting and then turn around and win the Big 12. But this doesn't feel like they're normal losing streaks. The offense is struggling. The defense is a bigger issue. Kansas gave up 40 or more points in the first half in their last three games in all three losses I if somebody knows the answer I'd like to know when the last time was that happened for Kansas that three games in a row they gave up forty or more points in the first half their offense rating is fine their defense rating is bad it's not good in big 12 play it's just it's it's not now most of the big 12s defense ratings aren't great but it's they are struggling period uh but here's the deal. This top six, like, there's no time off. Andy has made this point that the, the Big 12, it's not just there's no games off, there's no opportunities to look at what's wrong and, and fix them in game. There's not like you have a week it's like, oh, hey, look, we got this game coming up. We could take this weekend to kind of work on some things and figure out some problems. Even this weekend with the Big 12 versus the SEC, like, yeah, some teams have some bad SEC teams are playing. Yeah, Kentucky's not great this year. They still got to play Kentucky. It's not like it's a, a, an easy Saturday for Kansas. Like, there's just no weeks off. So look, the top six right now are kind of grouped together. I would put the, the top five ahead of Kansas a little bit, but like, that's just because they're in a three-game losing streak. They go win three in a row. We're going to have a different conversation about Kansas. It's the top six all together. Like, we're, to we're going to have a six-way tie for first place. Like, I don't think we will if we're not going to, but goodness gracious, that's ridiculous. Moving on down, I'm keeping Oklahoma at seventh. The, the the grouping of the next three between Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia, and there's Tech Tech at the bottom. I'm keeping Oklahoma at seventh, just ahead of Oklahoma State. If you're going to ask me why, it's because I'm being pessimistic about Oklahoma State, even though Oklahoma State has the far superior defense to Oklahoma, and their offensive rating isn't that drastically different. Oklahoma's offensive rating is a 99.1. Oklahoma State's is a 94.9. Like it's it's not insignificant. OSU's The worst offense in the Big 12. But they're at eight because that defense is really good. Uh, Number nine, it's West Virginia. Um, This is a better West Virginia team than their record had indicated. They're right there with OSU and Oklahoma in my book. Uh, In-conference net rating, West Virginia is better than Oklahoma. But. At the last place, it's Texas Tech, and we'll remain in last place until they get a win, which could be a while. As I noted on Twitter, uh, the last that was the game against West Virginia that they lost by double digits was one of the last best chances for them to get a win. The next one, the only home game they have remaining against a bottom half of the conference team is Oklahoma State, the last game of the regular season. It's not it's not going to get any easier. That's that's their next best chance at a win is at home against Oklahoma State on March 4th. It's going to be a tough year for Texas Tech. You know a good way to make yourselves feel better? Get excited for baseball season. It's almost here. It's two weeks away. Get excited for softball season with brand new head coach in Lubbock. That's next season. And you can be even happier by going to home field apparel and shopping the incredible stuff they have there like the Texas Tech apparel as well as every other Big 12 school currently in the conference or soon to be. The most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will find anywhere and the longest-running sponsor here on the 1012 Podcast and 1012 Network. We love what they're doing. They're doing refreshes, and they're going to be doing refreshes all year long, multiple a week. That means that at some point, I don't know when, it's very likely that the Big 12 schools, if not all, at least a good chunk— are going to get some refreshes, and these are all limited editions, so keep your eye out. We will let you know as soon as we know, but keep your eyes out, especially on Twitter. Make sure you're following Home Field Apparel, also on the gram, or you could just go to homefieldapparel.com. Take a look at what they have now, the incredible selection for your school. Put a bunch of stuff in the cart. When you go to check out. use promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, for 15% off your first purchase. Guys, just just do yourself a favor. Folks, ladies, fellas, be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will find anywhere this college basketball, baseball, softball, and wrestling season. All right. Three great interviews, four fantastic guests. Let's get to it. Okay, I'm pretty sure Scott of Bosco's Boys will not come back on the show anytime soon after the last time we did a player versus player debate here on the show because after we did, Marquise Noel just like went into a crater. So I'm hoping that doesn't happen again this week with the two players we're going to talk about. Two guests today, we're going to have a little battle royale to discuss who should be the current leader in the clubhouse for Big Twelve Player of the Year on the men's side. You know him because he's on the show all the time. My good friend Andy Mitz of the Rock Chalk Podcast here to represent Mr. Jalen Wilson, Andy.
2: It's good to be back on a midweek episode. And, um, Philip, had I known that you were responsible for the creating of Marquise Noel last time, I don't know that I would have agreed to come on because Jalen Wilson's like the one thing that Kansas really has going for it right now.
1: Well, and yeah, because I've, we did debate Mike Miles last time and he has continued to play well. So let's see what happens this week when we again discuss somebody versus Mike Miles on this episode. We're very excited for the first time to have Liz Marquez of Horns. Uh, and I'm going to say the wrong place. I, she or told me Fox something Sports Network. I, yes. I got is it. Is that what it is? I got you. She, yes. threw, she threw three different things at me. This woman is very, very busy. And so she throws three different like attachments at me. And I I, I just, just blended them all up and made something. Liz, welcome to the show.
3: Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. This is my first time ever being on a podcast. So I'm glad it's your podcast.
1: Well, you know what? Thank you. I... It's everyone's uh, everyone's got a fir- i I'm I'm done. Okay. <laughs> I'm done being clever. Let's let's just let's just put all the F, uh, work on you guys here. All right. Leader in the clubhouse. This is what we're going to do here. It's a little bit of a battle. I want to know you guys represent Mike Miles of TCU, of course, and Jalen Wilson of Kansas. The two guys that at this point, I feel like have the best argument for Big 12 player of the year on the men's side Keontae Johnson has an argument. I need a little bit more after Marquise Noel's dip for him to kind of outshine Noel. Um, you might be able to put Marcus Carr in there if you want, but it does feel like a three-person race. Andy, I'm gonna start with you. Jalen Wilson, as of right now, why should he be the front runner for player of the year? I mean, you look at he is, you know, leading the conference
2: in double doubles, he's leading the conference in scoring. Um, He has been the guy for his team when they have had some issues, you know, struggling elsewhere. I mean, he had a three game stretch where he averaged, I believe it was 29 points a game in that three game stretch, all of which were losses for the Jayhawks. Like doesn't matter how, you know, how good or how bad the rest of the team has been doing has been getting his, he has been doing everything he can to keep this team afloat. Um, And he is, I think he's clearly the best player, on a on a Kansas team that is still a very very strong contender um he has been I think by far the most consistent performer um over the course of the entire season and look I I love what Mike has been doing um but he does have a lot more help and he also has not been you know has not played the entire season so um the the whole you know You talk about in in a lot of sports, being healthy is like the most important attribute, being able to play consistently and always being there and giving that level of consistency. And I think you look at Jalen Wilson, his level of consistency is among the best performances, like single game performances that players have had all year long. So like you look at his, you know, his per game numbers and he is averaging things that are the best nights for some of the best players in the conference
1: a fair argument it's a very fair argument right? leading the big 12 and scoring is a big deal and he's leading it by a a decent amount i mean he's averaging 21.4 points per game mike miles is second at 19.1 so that's a 2.3 point difference kansas is relying on his offense a lot like he is having to carry this team offensively most nights but mike miles we've seen what happens when TCU doesn't have him we've seen how good they are when they do list Enter the ring. Please tell me here. Why should Mike Miles be the front runner for player of the year?
3: Well, first of all, he was the first pick for the preseason player of the year, and that's first in TCU history. So he's already making history as a junior at TCU. And when players are kind of picked for this, they get into their head and they tend to underperform. But Mike Miles hasn't. He's kind of lived up to the hype that he's had all year coming into the season. Um, I kind of want to touch on your point about shooting percentages. Jalen Wilson, um, you know, he's averaging 21.4 points right now. And like you said, Mike Miles, 19.1. But Jalen just doesn't have the percentages to match it. Mike Miles is shooting 53.2 percent and Wilson's only at 42.7. So, I mean, even though Mike Miles does have some help, that makes him more adverse. And he's able to share the ball with other people while Jalen's just kind of shooting hoops. Oh, that's a good that's very good. That's very good. Andy, do you have a retort here, I, sir?
2: I think that's an interesting way to put it, that he's just shooting hoops. I mean, this has been a situation where, you know, the guys that he had relied on and, and, and I think the important thing to look at is that Wilson has done it in a ton of different ways this year, right? Like early in the year, he shared the spotlight with Grady Dick early in the season, Um, you know, was perfectly content deferring to him in a lot of cases. And then when it became clear that teams were keying in on guys like Kevin McCullough and Grady Dick and, you know, Dewan Harris to some extent that he needed to take that heavier load upon him. He stepped up and he did it and his production did not go down. In fact, it went up, you know? So I think, I think the argument, you know, saying that he has, um, you know, he has done more and has to be more efficient, the more, the more shots you take like usage rate. And if, you know, in, in this Ken Palm era, you talk about usage rate all the time in offensive rating. It's a well-known fact that the higher your usage rate is, the lower your offensive rating goes. So typically, the more shots you're having to take, the less efficient you're going to be just because of the volume, because people are putting you into situations. And what we've seen from Jalen Wilson, I think, is he has stepped up in, sh- in sp- spots where he has to take a shot, not spots like Mike Miles has been able to do where the rest of the offense gets him set up to take good quality shots. The time there's been way too many times where Jalen Wilson has gotten backed into a corner because he doesn't have anyone to pass it to he has to crank up a shot he's the best option they have on offense and it's not a particularly good setup shot for him and he and he still comes through and so you know I, I think there, there's definitely a you know a, a, an argument to be made because of how good Miles has been and he has definitely been very efficient um but it's a lot easier to be efficient when you have a bunch of other weapons and they can't just key in on you. What we've seen is Jalen Wilson gets one of the, if not the best defender from the opponent every single game and is still scoring like crazy.
3: I mean, I guess my question for you is, you know, Wilson's able to be really efficient for Kansas, but if you take him out, what happens to the team? Mike miles has been out, but they've still been able to win games without him. So what do you think? Wilson's position would be, if, or the, what the team would look like with Wilson. Well, I,
2: I think it. that adds more to Wilson because you, if if you take Wilson away, there is, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that this team struggles a lot because of how much he does. The fact that TCU has been okay, has played really well without Mike Miles. Yeah, it's great to have him back, but the re reintroducing Mike Miles to TCU didn't necessarily change the way that they play. It didn't necessarily it gave them more options, more things that they could do. You take Jalen Wilson out if, if if he were to get injured today, you know, knock on wood, because I don't want to be the person that actually you know, causes that problem. <laughs> given you know Phillips' history in this space, but like if something were to happen, and he would be available for two games. I guarantee you that you know they may end up winning those games depending on where they are and if other guys can step up. But I can tell you right now that is a significantly worse team, um, and and if you don't have Jalen Wilson on this Kansas team. This is a Kansas team, I think, that would be much closer to the very bottom of the conference than up towards the top or, well, kind of middle right now just because there's six teams that are all within a game of each other at the top of the conference. But, um, you know, Kansas without Jalen Wilson is not a conference title contending team, whereas TCU without Mike Miles is.
3: And also, I want to talk about, like, the recruiting roster. Jalen Wilson led in one of the best rosters in college basketball but he led them to three straight losses recently, and Mike Miles has led what people say to be a subpar Big Twelve roster. But they have big wins like over K State and Kansas at home, and so Kansas kind of or Kansas brought in a highly recruited transfer from Tech this year. They've had all the pieces, but they still have losses.
2: I guess my real big question there, though, because you you talk about having, um, you know, having those wins. They also have losses at West Virginia, who has you know been a very struggling team. It's not it's it's been very up and down. I think for TCU, they have been overall pretty good, but I do think that consistency has been an issue for them. And and whether that's with or without Mike Miles, like whether that's the reason for it, uh, it's not really clear at this point because you know they've struggled in in nights where Miles has been there and been available. I I, I cannot remember. I'm actually jumping back to Wilson's. Uh, Game log right now to take a look at it. There is not a single night where, uh, it, the entire season where he did not score in double digits. The lowest his, you know, he scored at all was 11 against Indiana. And that's because they were blowing Indiana out by so much by halftime that he didn't really need to play very much in the second half. Like he didn't really need to do anything. Um, Jalen Wilson has been a consistent scorer every single time that they have gone out and played. Whereas you look at Mike Miles, you know, he has. Um, A lot of, you know, I I see a lot of 11, a lot of 12, 13, a lot of the lower teens, And he's had some great games as well. You know, that that game against Baylor, uh, you know, towards the beginning conference season, uh, you know, that was a 33 point outing. So it's like I'm not saying that he does not have the ability to have a very good game. But I think what we have seen is that, you know, Jalen Wilson has been consistent. And this is him, you know, I think also just kind of the development of, you know, from one year to the next Mike Miles was last year, the guy on TCU. And I think a lot of people thought that TCU was going to take a gigantic step forward compared to the rest of the big 12 conference. And I I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that they haven't taken a huge step forward. I just think the entire conference has taken a huge step forward. Um, But, you know, I think part of the reason that people talk about this TCU team in the way that you're talking about, that they're, you know, not necessarily as talented, it's pretty much the same team that we saw last year. You know, they have basically like one new piece. And for the most part, they are the same team. I, I actually was was talking with Melissa Trebautzer, you know, about this when we were previewing that TCU game. And and really, this is—I mean, this is basically the same team. They, you know, they have a few things that are a little bit different, but for the most part, you know what you're getting with TCU. And so I think, you know, more than anything, you look at at uh, at you know, player of the year and those sorts of things. Just like with coach of the year, you look at a player who was not expected to do much and completely outperformed it or that did something in a completely different way than people expected. I think a lot of people expected Jalen Wilson to be one of the leaders, but considering what he did last year for the Jayhawks, you know, he was that utility man. He was a guy that would go out and get, you know, 12 rebounds, only scoring three points because they needed somebody to rebound and focus on that. And then another night he wouldn't even, you know, score at all, but he, he would play defensively and have five steals or something like that. He was the garbage man last year. This year, he has stepped into that leading role where he is the main offense, he is the guy that they're keying everything through, and he's the guy that takes the best shot from the opposing defense, and he's still scoring like crazy over it.
1: Andy, I think you make a very, very solid point here. Look, I, I, I do think a key point here is this. TCU did struggle early without Mike, without Mike Miles, and so we haven't really had to see what it would look like, but he hasn't had to be the guy every single time night they've been able to win even if he only puts up 13 points or even if he puts i mean they blew out kansas state and he put up 13 um but for kansas like kansas is not losing games because of Jalen wilson kansas is losing games because of other issues on the team and so i do think i'm gonna give this round to Jalen wilson because i do think he is not the problem now Could it be a situation where TCU ends up far better in the standings than Kansas does? And so Mike miles gets more credit on a better team. We've seen that kind of stuff happen before. We've also seen players on fifth, sixth place team have an awesome player and be player of the year. I can think of an Oklahoma and Oklahoma state player. It's happened for during my lifetime. So This is an interesting race down the line. I do think it'll be interesting if we bring Keontae Johnson into this discussion here in another week or two, but for now, I'm going to give this round to Jalen Wilson. Congratulations, Andy. If I had some cheering music, I would play it here. Well, you know,
2: the, the most important thing, honestly, all you have to look at Ken Palm player of the year stats, Jalen Wilson is number two and Mike miles isn't even on the list. So I just had to get that party shot in. So
1: yeah, just, just right. Just right there on the way out a
2: little bit. jacking up the half court shot you can tell i've been doing this arguing on podcasts for quite a long time right (laughs) i mean
3: you gotta give him credit though for his size at 6'2 and the way he's shooting i mean six oh yeah
2: well and 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 to be fair mike miles i thought was like he was the guy that i was expecting to take a step forward and obviously the early injury didn't help things he was very deservedly you know the the player of the year coming like preseason coming into the conference because he was a a phenomenal player last year. He was the guy that was returning that had the most, you know, pub surrounding him that was going to be in a similar type of role. We do it last year. We saw how important he was last year. I don't think this is like a, you know, he is um, not as important to his team as, as, you know, a guy like Jalen Wilson. I I honestly, I think they're both very important, especially for long-term prospects. I think this is much uh, the same sort of thing as where we talk about, you know, the bottom team in the big 12 right now, It's not a bad team (laughs) they're just having to face other really good teams and as i said over on the 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 episode of the rock truck podcast that just posted today actually when we're recording this um you know kansas's struggles this year is not because they're a bad team or because other teams are you know um like doing things completely differently than they used to this is the case of you have a league where if you have mistakes if you have you know weaknesses to your team there isn't a single game in this entire conference slate where you can work through things without the opposing team taking advantage of what you're trying to work on. And that's what we've seen from Kansas, Kansas, you know, and, and I mean, we, we even saw it with like TCU against West Virginia, right? Like there were, they they had a bad game. West Virginia was well-equipped to just take advantage of what it was that happened. And it, and it turned out pretty poorly for TCU, just like, Kansas, you know, getting demolished by TCU because, Hey, guess what? TCU was able to use their speed to take advantage of the biggest weakness that the Jayhawks had. And for them to work on it, there's no team for them to work on that issue. And so I think looking at the big 12 in the player of the year race, the coach of the year race, even though I'm, I'm ready at this point to give it to Jerome Tang. I mean, honestly, that's kind of ridiculous, but um, like all of those, it's not that the person that wins or the team that wins that honor you know, heads and tails above everybody else. It's just that there's so many good options. You have to come up with some sort of criteria to, to differentiate them all.
1: I think it's a great point. Uh, I think this has been a fun debate. Andy, congratulations on the win. Uh, Everyone knows who you are. Rock Chalk podcast host. You'll be back (laughs) on Monday. We'll talk all sorts of things. Liz, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun. Do me a favor. Where can everybody check out all of the work? And I mean all of it that you do cover at TCU,
3: um, at D two ten Sports or TCU three hundred and sixty on Instagram and Twitter.
1: Liz, again, appreciate your time, yeah, guys. This is fun. Me. You're very welcome, Andy. Yeah, you're. Yeah, we'll talk to you Monday.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll I'll see you Monday. Boom,
1: Bosco's boys is here. I think we all wanted it, and the marriage is officially official i'm so pumped to bring my show to the 1012 network bosco's boys the most consistent k-state podcast out there over four years with at least one episode a week bringing live shows to the listeners and to the participants every wednesday at 7 p.m i'm pumped to be here and i would love it if you guys came over to bosco's boys and gave us a listen because we are not Big J Jurnos. This is a podcast by a fan
2: and his dog for fellow K-State and Big 12 fans, and I can't wait to chop it up with all the members and fans of the Ten Twelve Network.
1: Wrestling season continuing strong. Speaking of strong, there's one team in particular I want to talk about today. Look, when it comes to Big 12 wrestling, everyone knows about Oklahoma State, but I would argue that three Big Current Big 12 programs are among the five best, if not the three best, if you want to really make the argument, all time. I know we got to fit Iowa in there and Penn State with what they've been doing the last decade plus and certainly making a claim for that top three. But Oklahoma's history is fantastic. I mean, the wrestling Heisman is named after an Oklahoma wrestler. So Oklahoma fans, stop making fun of wrestling. It's stupid (laughs) when you do. Uh, But the other program, maybe you're not aware of this, is Iowa State. And they are off to, I think, a second great fantastic season, 10-2 and two so far, and two massive weekends coming up ahead. So, had to talk a little Iowa State wrestling. I thought it was time. Very excited to have Sam Phillips of the PEN12 Podcast. That is a podcast that covers Big 12 wrestling. Joining us, Sam, welcome to the
0: show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks, Philip.
1: Uh, you and Lee do a great job over there covering the Big 12. It's nice to see some devoted Big Twelve wrestling coverage. Uh, I just uh, let me throw you some props now, and I'll do it again later on. Uh, you also cover Iowa State for Whiteout and Light. so you're very versed in Iowa State wrestling. Kind of for for the look, I follow wrestling as much as the Big Twelve, um, as best as I can. Kind of catch us up to date with where, where, where Iowa State is this season, and kind of where they are as a as a program at this current state.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as a program, I'd say. They are on the upswing for sure. And I, even a little bit ahead of schedule, the 2010s were really a rough time for Iowa state wrestling compared to their historical success. You know, they won their last big 12 title in 2009 uh, had not finished in the top four at the national tournament since 2010. And then uh, now you've got Kevin dresser, head coach, and I believe his sixth season in Ames and Last year they had, you know, really turned some heads with an undefeated Big 12 duel season, only had one loss in the duels, and that was to Iowa in the Cyhawk duel, which it's tough to beat you know, a team like Iowa that's always in the top two or three, but they, you know, they turned the corner against Oklahoma State, they turned the corner against Missouri, and that really made people kind of turn their attention to Ames. So then you get to this season and they're like, you know, Iowa State had a disappointing national tournament, couldn't crack the top 10, but they had that good dual season. What's going to happen this year? Everybody knew they were returning a ton of talent. And then they also added the number three recruiting class in the country. And you're seeing some of those guys go right away and be huge contributors. So I guess the season started, they knocked off Wisconsin really convincingly, and then just built momentum, wrestled Iowa in a really tough duel, wrestled Penn State to a tough duel, knocked off a really good Cornell team. And now as we're getting into the big 12 season, Iowa State finds themselves at number three in the dual rankings. And with some of those really high caliber freshmen helping them out, you're seeing them be able to make a push for a trophy at the NCAA tournament at the end of the year. And certainly looking like they'll finally get back into the top 10 at, you know, that's almost like a worst case scenario at this point.
1: Yeah, I, look, this is a program that has distinct history. It's won multiple national championships. As you mentioned, the last Big 12 championship back in 2009, a very successful three-year run of Cale Sanderson before he left for Penn State and turned it into the monster that it is now. I'm sure that's a sore subject for Iowa State <laughs> wrestling like, fans. Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs>
1: uh, it's some rough years there under Kevin Jackson, but it does feel like Dresser really has turned this around, and this program is really on the incline, as you mentioned. Playing really well. I want to look to the next couple of weeks. That's why I'm glad to have you on this week. I mean, this weekend you get both Oklahoma schools. Uh, in Ames, you get Oklahoma on Friday, followed by Oklahoma State on Sunday, and then followed up the following weekend with a Friday match, Friday night match against a surprisingly good West Virginia program. They are they are ranked, and they are having what I would consider is. Well, I guess they were ranked they're they're having one of the best seasons I've seen from them in a while, and Pitt, mm-hmm. who's also currently ranked as well. So you've got two straight weekends with I think four very challenging opportunities for Iowa State. Both week matches this weekend will be on ESPN plus if you're a big Iowa State fan, and want to check it out. And kind of what is the expectation for Iowa State the rest of rest of the season looking ahead? Uh, is it win a big Twelve title? just place. Well, like what, how do you view this season and moving forward for Iowa state?
0: The hope is certainly for a big 12 title. I know that's what the team has stated as their goals. And a lot of people coming into this season, I was one of them. I'm like, Hey, national tournament. I just want to see us perform pretty well and get back into that top 10, top eight. And the team right away said, no way. Our goals are top four at the national tournament, get a trophy. And you know, at the beginning of the season, like I talked about, everybody was like, ah, that seems like quite a bit of a reach, but now it seems much more tangible. And this Iowa state, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state coming up to the state of Iowa, both those teams also get you and I, who's a big 12 affiliate in wrestling. And this has become one of my favorite weekends in the regular season for collegiate wrestling over the past few years, because uh, you know, I think it was three years ago, these teams came up and, you uh, and I had the surprise win over Oklahoma State. It was like their first win in thirty or forty years over Oklahoma State, and then Iowa State wrestled them really close last year. The you and I and Iowa State went down and swept the Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, so the OU schools. And even at like the the youth and high school level, the Iowa versus Oklahoma sort of that gritty, we're the best wrestling state. That feud is strong, you know all the way up to the collegiate level. So that's super fun to see that rivalry and the pride that both those states have as wrestling states. So it's a huge weekend and this big 12 schedule is really a sprint to the finish from here on out for uh, all the power programs. They haven't really hit yet in conference against each other. And then they've also all got some good non-conference ones. Like you mentioned, I State picking up that pit duel while they're out at West Virginia and then you've got Missouri at, and you and I at the tail end of the schedule too, so it's going to be just a phenomenal last month of the regular season here.
1: Yeah, I mean you have a ranked opponent every match the rest of the way: Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Uh, you've got, I uh, was say, Pitt. I mean, Missouri's still on there. You and I is like it's it's a yep. it's a daunting way to end the schedule. And West Virginia at this point, uh, as of today, just like I think basically like twenty sixth. In the range, yep. depending on what I'm looking at, like just on the outside, like the Big 12, it does feel like the Big 12 is as a whole having one of its best seasons in a while. Like, it, the Oklahoma State's been good, Iowa State's been on their eyes, but it does feel like the conference as a whole, West Virginia having a good year, you and I's been pretty good consistently, but Missouri's joined back in. It does feel like this is the best season as far as an Oklahoma State wrestler, or sorry, Big 12 wrestling depth goes in a few years.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you've got um, you know, tremendous top tier talent with Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Missouri, and then you've got like a really salty middle tier with you and I, and then the Dakota schools, North Dakota State and South Dakota State. So, those three affiliates, uh, part of the reason I love the Big 12 as a wrestling conference is you get that mix of those sort of overlooked blue bloods in the sport, and then you get those uh affiliate schools that. Are just really gritty and seem to have a really good wrestling following. Whether it be you and I or South Dakota State, those arenas are some of my favorite arenas to, uh, you know, watch their home dual meets because the crowd gets so into it and just seems like a great atmosphere. And then you've also got the floor of the conference has raised so much with some of these affiliates as you've seen them spend sort of a whole recruiting cycle in the conference as an affiliate. They're starting to get better recruiting classes. They're getting better resources. Northern Colorado now has uh, the number one ranked wrestler in the country at 141. Andrew Alirez has been absolutely dominant this season. So the depth is just wild. And like you mentioned, there's no... They're all ranked teams for the rest of the season. So there's no easy week. And really, it's going to be tough to rest the starters in any of these duels as well.
1: So let's look ahead to this weekend, obviously... State of Iowa versus the state of Oklahoma, with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State both coming to town. What are what are expectations for this weekend for Iowa State? I, I know they want to win. Um, just kind of how are you seeing this matches the, the the two matches this weekend?
0: Yeah, so first you've got the Oklahoma duel on Friday night in Hilton Coliseum, and that's going to be a really fun one. There's going to be some great matchups, but at the end of the day, Iowa State's. You lean Iowa State in like seven of the 10 matches, a couple toss-ups, and maybe one of the 10, you would lean Oklahoma being favored. So Oklahoma could surprise some people and pick up a few wins that they're not supposed to there. And it will be some very fun matchups, but I don't see them being able to turn enough in the to turn the tide of the duel their way. So Iowa State's definitely favored there. And it's really going to be about winning as many matches as you can because Oklahoma's really got those guys that can come up and hurt your seed for the Big 12 tournament, hurt your seed for the national tournament. And you definitely have to be on your A game to avoid the slip up there. And then on Sunday, Oklahoma State, both these programs care about this duel a lot, you know, dating back to the Big Eight days. So it's been a historic rivalry and it's really fun at this point with Iowa state finally putting up a little bit more of a fight than they did over the past decade. And even I would consider them a favorite in this duel, but it's a lot of the same story. All these matchups are going to count. I think Iowa state's probably favored in four and you've got maybe three toss-ups and then three that lean Oklahoma state's way. So it's one where Iowa state will need to wrestle their best to win that dual meet. Yeah, it's an exciting weekend if you're a Big 12 wrestling fan.
1: I, again, ESPN+. Plus. Feel how you want about ESPN+, Plus. the access to the Olympic sports makes it worth whatever good content you got going to deal with. I don't care. Stop on baseball season or almost here. I will have ESPN+, Plus on, like, ad nauseum.
0: And, yeah, especially for these Olympic sports. You get really knowledgeable commentators, too, because Iowa State putting national champion Kyvan Gadsden out there. Oklahoma State's got a great crew, so it's really fun. Yeah, you, you,
1: it's not Joe Schmo from ESPN just pitching in. It's people who actually know what they're talking about covering the sport, which is incredible. Uh, Sam, what are the strengths of this Iowa State team this year? Where, at what weights do you view them as this is the best in the Big 12 or best in the country or just the strengths of this team?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So their depth is a huge strength to them, especially in dual meets. Uh, Against Cornell, they had their heavyweight got injured the dual before that. So they had to actually shifted almost half their lineup up a weight class, taking on ranked wrestlers, most of them getting wins. And that really shocked a lot of people around the country because nobody does that at the division one level. That's like a high school move that you see teams do. So that depth is a huge strength for the Cyclones. And then you've just got top end talent. There's four guys that are pushing for uh, a potential national finalist with David Carr, who, of course, won the national title in 2021. He's up at uh, 165 this year, which, as a side note, is just incredibly deep. I think there's eight top 20 guys in the Big 12, including number one, Keegan O'Toole of Missouri, and number two, David Carr. Uh, You've got uh, Younger Bastida at 197, who uh, a lot of people probably don't know this, but he actually came to Iowa State from Cuba and had never wrestled folk style wrestling. He'd only wrestled the international Olympic styles before. And he's got a super exciting brand of wrestling. You're seeing him in his third year in the country really get very savvy in some of these folk style collegiate wrestling positions. So his growth, he's got just uh incredible trajectory and high-end potential. He could be a national finalist. Then you've got true fresh or I guess he gray shirted last year. You've got a 149 Pinero Johnson who Turned a lot of heads when he knocked off Austin Gomez, Big Ten champion earlier this year, and took three-time NCAA champion Yanni Diakma-Hollis to overtime in their matchup. And uh, you've also got the six-year senior Marcus Coleman, pride of Ames, local kid, you know, committed, I believe committed to Kevin Jackson. and uh, uh, Kevin Dresser had to re-recruit him to get him to stay. And in his sixth year, you've seen... His, you know, just his hard work after six years paid dividends. And he's now a top four kid who earlier this year beat Penn state's returning national champion.
1: I guess the follow-up question is where's Iowa state weak? Like what, what is, yeah. what is the weakness on this
0: team? Well, right now their 125 is pretty weak because they started out the year with Kyson Tarakina and he's you know, had an up and down career. He's been getting top five, top 10 wins, and then he'll lose to an unranked guy. So he actually hurt his shoulder in an all-star match early in the season and ends up he's out for the year. And then Iowa State throws this backup Corey Cabanban out there and he starts beating some ranked guys, but then of course he gets hurt as well. So right now Iowa State is down to their third string at 125, which is of course the smallest weight class. So it's Probably the hardest weight class to build depth in because guys aren't able. A lot of guys aren't able to spend four, five, six years at that weight class, especially you know you're not. There's not many 24 year olds that can. 23 year olds like we're seeing with the COVID year now that can make 125. So that's got to be the weakness at this point in the season. We do hope to get Corey Cabanban back before the conference tournament, but that's something where Cyclone fans are always like, man, that's that's a hard spot to be in.
1: So again. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State Friday, uh, Friday night for Oklahoma. Saturday at uh, two o'clock.
0: Sunday, Sunday at okay, two. Sunday, o'clock.
1: Sunday at God's time, two o'clock uh, for Oklahoma State. Both those on ESPN Plus. Everybody go and check out. Just watch Big Twelve wrestling. Like if you're, you, you, just give it a shot. Especially if you're an Iowa State fan. Here's my thing. It's always like, look, I get it with with all the things going on, that it's hard to be a fan of every sport. I don't expect everyone to be a diehard fan of every sport, but when your team is good and you have opportunities to watch them face off against really good opponents, it's an easy way to kind of start getting yourself at least interested in a sport that maybe you haven't tried before. So, this weekend's a huge opportunity for Iowa State fans. If you haven't watched the wrestling program, go do so. Um, there are some diehard Iowa State wrestling fans, and y'all are fantastic, Sam. Like that I follow enough of you, between like you and Cordova and a few others, It's like, This Iowa state wrestling fan base is a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely dedicated and diehards for sure.
1: Sam, you have been awesome. Uh, Do me a favor, uh, plug away. Where can everybody check out the work you do covering uh, Iowa state and big 12 wrestling?
0: Yeah, of course. So I do do the pin 12 pod with Lee Cothran, which is all big 12 wrestling from your blue bloods, like Oklahoma state, Iowa state, Oklahoma, down to the affiliates. You may not have even heard of like Cal Baptist new to division one this year. I also do uh, Iowa State-specific work at Wide Right Natty Light and do the Sudden Victory podcast about Cyclone Wrestling with my co-host, Jacob England. So that is a ton of fun just to get super deep into the nitty-gritty details of Iowa State's resurgence. And you can also find me on Twitter at Slam Phillips, S-L-A-M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S. Hey.
2: For the 2022 season, it's the RVK. We're coming at you two ways on two days. It's Monday and Thursday. Jeremy J.N. Fiend Phoenix and me brandon phoenix aka i also hate pit we are the raspy voice kids we are the raspy voice kids podcast you get pop culture monday at 7 a.m you get the west virginia university podcast thursdays at 7 a.m either way no matter what we say
1: you're gonna have fun so like we like to tell you get at your boys I know we're all focused on basketball with the college softball season gets started next week. And I could not be more excited about the upcoming season and look, it's going to be a lot of fun. Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, Texas, are all going to be fantastic. And I'm also excited. Look, it's another year away before they officially join the conference, but I've already got my attention focused on them again this year. Very excited to have the head coach of the UCF softball program back on the show this year. Uh, Coach Ball Malone, welcome back to the 10-12. Thank you.
4: Glad to be here.
1: Last time we talked, we talked, you know, last year before the season, a lot of anticipation for that 2020, uh, 2022 season. And you guys, I mean, delivered. It was an incredible year for you. Hosting a regional, making it to a super regional. I I know the season obviously ended before you guys would have liked, but I mean, just looking back, how satisfied were you with last year? I, you know, I, it's hard. Satisfied is a hard
4: word um, okay. when you're an athlete or when you're in a coach or, you know, dealing with athletics, but um, proud and uh, accomplished, you know, it definitely like reaching goals that we had never done here before at UCF and anyone on our team, you know, had never done either. So, um, definitely excited and, you know, having the ability to celebrate after season. Um, but we still, just like any other team, uh, left with that gut-wrenching, like, gosh, we didn't make it out of the Super Regional. And, you know, everyone keeps saying, well, like, oh, you know, you played Oklahoma, like, you're fine. It's, it's basically like a win. You stayed in the seven innings against them. But that doesn't work for a competitive person and a competitive group. Um, and so all those returners and coaching staff members that were on the, the staff last year still come back with this like bittersweet taste of, we loved what we did last year, but we want more. And, um, so yeah, I would say definitely accomplished, proud. And then now it's like, okay, we want a little bit more now.
1: Hey, you know, it, it once you, once you taste the good stuff, you, you don't want to give it up. I mean, so- <laughs> I mean, I think that sets up perfectly for expectations for this upcoming season. You guys are ranked in every preseason poll, at least top 20 from what I could tell from all the ones that I checked. Um, A lot of anticipation. You guys are preseason pick number one in the AAC in your final season there. I mean, expectations now have been kind of set, fair or otherwise, to not only make the postseason, but be hosting a regional, be making it to Supers, be fighting to get to, to Oklahoma City. I mean, I guess the two questions are, from your inside the program obviously our expectations and hopes are to get to Oklahoma City for the first time but i mean what how do you handle that and and how do you view the season as opposed to like the last few years when you've been building towards something you're still building but it's just it's so much different now
4: yeah well we talk about a lot of things you know we talk about what we did and accomplished last year um now brings on this this responsibility as a program to continue the tr- the tradition and, um, you know, our trajectory of, you know, continuing to move up, um, with what we've been doing. So we, we talk about it. We talk about our tough schedule. We talk about, um, how we're not going to be able to kind of sleep and people, you know, people sleep on us and we kind of attack them. Like everyone knows who we are now. Um, and so we talk about those things. And I know in the past, like as a coach, people would say, well, if you bring things up, you know, you'll put it in your athletes' minds. But I feel I'm, you know, these women are smart. They know a lot. They see everything on their social media. So why not get it out in the open, talk about it and get after it? And I think the big thing, too, is making sure all of us have somewhat similar goals. Right. So um, at the end of the year last year, we asked all the returners. Okay, what do you want to do? You know, we could, I mean, obviously, as a program, we had a lot of success, but we got a lot of attention. Um, we're getting taken care of, you know, things things are happening with our facility, you know, those types of things. um getting a, a con- contract extension. And I said, do you want to just, you know, maintain, not just, but do you want to maintain where we're at? What does it look like for you guys? And they said, no, we want more. And so we're listening to them, you know, well, okay, With more comes more responsibility. With more comes more commitment. Um, And so it's it's been fun to kind of go along that journey with this group. Um, This is, for us, it's Team 22. It's our 22nd team at UCF. And um, just how they've embraced who they are, um, carrying on that tradition, and being able to leave it a little bit better than last year's team for the next team. So it, it's been a fun journey. And, um, you know, I question myself like, okay, am I saying the right things? Am I doing the right things? Um, cause I'm now once again, in, um, a territory where I haven't really been in either. So, um, as a coach, so, um, it, it's been fun and I love that we're all pushing each other right now and allowing each other to kind of fall a little bit and make mistakes and, you know, get back up and do it again. But um, our culture will still stay the same. You know, we're going to stick to our, our five core values and we're not changing that. And um we know that's who we are. And that's why we're at where we're at in, um you know, national rankings and just in the game of softball.
1: I've got a list of things to get to, but you, you touched on something there. I'm hoping you can expound upon. Just how much support are you seeing, increased support from the athletic department at UCF now that you guys are having the success and the expectations are being raised you would, you would hope as expectations rise that that the support from your athletic department does as well what kind of support are you guys seeing right now
4: well we just got um a, a few renovations here at the facility um we got turf all around our foul territory behind our dugout we're starting to you know I think we've been sitting in phase one here at UCF with our facilities for a while. And in the last couple of years, you know, make it to a regional final, we get new locker room um, and, you know, all of our facilities get repainted and, and a few, you know, changes there. Um, And then,
3: you know, then
4: we make it to super regionals and now you're starting to see some more things happen. So they're, they're putting money into the program to continue to create the atmosphere that we should have and what our women really deserve um, on a day-to-day basis for training. Like people might say, okay, turf, but for turf for us is huge because we have a lot of games on our grass. And so we're able to do a lot of our practice and our drills in the turf area and our grass still looks nice. So um, there is talk about expanding um, seating, you know, for the near future here and moving into the big 12, um, getting shade, you know, for um, our fans and, you know, continuing on like video board. Um, I think the next thing that I kind of want to go to is um, really focusing on the, um, the, the batting, the hitting facility, you know, being able to enclose that um, and create a really, a really nice training facility for our, our women on a day-to-day basis. So all of those plans have started to, you know, push forward. Nothing's um finalized with the things that I just mentioned at the end but we got all of our turf in um this year which isn't is very expensive so we're very proud of that um as far as our staff I mean you know they they get to stay here um especially with the staff that we have and you know the the bond that we've built and the knowledge that we have um our contract as a staff you know with my contract I got extended another year so um just, you know, being able to have, I would say that stability and continue to keep doing what our do- what we're doing, you know, there, and that was talked about before we even made it past regionals. Um, so I think that that's important too, you know, because people could say, well, you know, people come, you know, looking for us and want, want to help us move on to another school. And that was mentioned by Terry uh, prior to Terry Mahajar, our AD prior to us even competing in the regional.
1: That's awesome. Hey, folks, invest in women's sports. Like, if you want some good return on investment, um, <laughs> do it. It really does help. Okay. So, expectations are high. You talked about the players coming back this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to start with, I think, the name everyone either, if they don't know already, needs to know if you're going to pay attention to UCF this season. That's that's Jada Cody. Uh, depending upon which site you look at, D1 Softball had her as the number 14 player for this season. Softball America had her as the number 31. I mean, this is one of the best players in the country that you're going to have on your roster. A utility player. Uh, her 75 RBIs last season are a program record for a single season, which is absolutely incredible. I mean, she leads what is four of your top five, or so your top four RBI forgetters from last year, five of your top six, four of your top five hitters are all back. It, it does feel like offensively, you should feel pretty excited about this team. I, I'm excited about it, seeing what all you guys have back and what you did last year. But I mean, how do you take that group that did so well last year and continue to and get them to continue to improve?
4: Yeah. I mean, we're talking Jada did some great things and um, I think she's also, I I haven't looked at all my stuff today, but I think she got nominated for top 50 um, You know, player of the year. Um, I believe that something's been popping up in my, um, on my phone, but um, I think what's really special is, you know, a lot of people just talked about Jada Cody and um, it's like you said, we have our top hitters coming back. Um, There were people around her, that, you know, she has the 75 RBI while well, somebody had to be on for her to be able to hit those people in. Um, but along with those other four players um, that are returning, we've added three more athletes um, transfer wise that have shown and proven that they can compete and play um, at this level and beyond. Uh, so our offense is definitely um, our goal is to create this offense where Jada Cody is still Jada Cody. She's special. She is a special athlete. Um, but they're going to feel like I have no break in the lineup, right? It's not just get past, you know, a couple people in the lineup and then go, um, we're creating a lineup where everyone has power potential. Um, our slappers hit away all, all fall. Um, that doesn't mean that we're not going to slap because that's our game. You know, we, we move the ball, we, we put the game in motion, but, um, our slappers all hit away and hit for some extra bases throughout the fall. So I feel that our lineup is going to be, um, much, much more dynamic, have a lot more experience behind it. Um, and Jen Salling is, um, our hitting coach and she's definitely, uh, has them prepared because as the pitching person it is harder to get our kids out in scrimmages right now. Um, typically that's not been the case when I've been here. Um, and I can say that because I was the pitching and the hitting person in, in the years past. So um, I think that she's just putting us in a really good position to put up some runs, put up some more runs and compete against some of those teams that I don't know who, what pitcher beats them. So I might be talking about one team in particular, but I won't say that name.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh. You mentioned there's plenty of other people to talk about. I do want to talk about Shannon Doherty, who along with Cody is one of the only two players to return from last season who started all 63 games. I mean, she is just a sophomore for you there at first base. How vital is she to this team as well?
4: Shannon's, <sighs> Shannon's place on this team is so much more than, than anyone could imagine. Like how she is the glue of our team, right? And it's before she even steps on the field both Shannon and Jada are captains. Um, They have been captains for two years now. Shannon's been captain for three years. Um, And they've been voted as captains, um, not only by staff members, but also players. And so what Shannon does before we get here, I mean, I feel like I'm racing to beat Shannon to the building. Um, And I mean, she's just She's so invested in what this program is doing. So she, you know, what she does before, she's the first one to arrive, the last one to leave, the last one to ask questions or, you know, create any issues. The first one to ask questions and like make me think like, oh yeah, good, good thought on that one. I forgot about that piece. Um, And then she does all these amazing things like works on her picks at one um, just as much as she works on her offense. Um, And it's funny because Her years, you know, she talks about like, yeah, I'm a better hitter than those numbers. I'm like, Shannon, these are pretty good numbers. You know, some people can't say they've had a loud walk-off in their life. And you had literally three loud walk-offs in a matter of a month um, that, you know, went completely viral. So um, she, the work that she puts into it, she is the epitome of our core values of our culture here. um, And the work she puts into it, that's why you see those results.
1: You mentioned you have some transfers coming in. There's some impressive ones. Having the success that you had last season and, and the last couple of seasons, how are you seeing UCF's kind of reputation grow in college softball and the impact that's having for you guys?
4: Well, this year, what I saw with our with our transfers, typically we've gone out and, um, you know, when they hit the transfer portal, we've gone out and recruited the people that we feel like are our kind of gals. Um, and so... This year, our kind of gals actually recruited us. We recruited them as well, but it was it was awesome how like they reached out to us too. And so people are starting to see how we roll here, right? What our culture is about, how we play, um, what's important to us. And they, you know, the people that say like, yep, yeah, that's where I'm going to thrive. They want a piece of it. And so those three transfers that um, came in have taken leadership roles on the field right away. Um, they've had an immediate impact um, in the locker room and on the field. Um, and I quite honestly, I feel like sometimes we have more transfers because our freshmen do not act like freshmen. Like we'll talk um in our coaches' meetings. I'm like, when are the freshmen going to act? You know, they're going to when are the freshmen going to do those silly things? Like they just, they haven't done it. Um and so it's been, it's been really fun to see how the maturity level of our athletes has really grown because their expectations, they're not just here only to play softball and get an education. They're here to dominate while they're here. And that's been the the trend and the shift. And so the people that reach out to us, the people that um, want to be involved in this program now, um, their mentality has changed. It's not just you're by Disney, you have lots of sun. There's really cool palm trees around your campus. Um, they they're saying I want to come be a part of this and play in a women's college world series.
1: That's 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 awesome. That's uh, exactly what the Big Twelve needs when when you guys arrive in the conference is is another let's call it a powerhouse. I'm just I think you guys be building into that. Um, if if I may, uh, you uh, when last we talked last year we we commented on the schedule you had put together and I think it turned out pretty well this year. Uh, yeah coach I think you've outdone yourself with the non-conference forget the fact that I actually think the AAC is an underrated softball conference Wichita State perennially a good program USF was really good last year I expect them to be good this year Uh, I know Houston was picked fourth they're gonna be joining the Big 12 next year Tulsa's typically a a decent softball program I, I think the AAC is pretty good so, but that wasn't enough. You had to go out and schedule uh, eleven teams who were in the postseason last year. You've got three opponents who reached the super regionals. Um, I I lost count of the number of teams who are preseason ranked this year, and as we know, those rankings change often. So that my number is uh, going to fluctuate. I, what is your philosophy when you put together a non-conference schedule like the one you have this year? <laughs> You know,
4: when I keep getting called from my friends and they're like, are you dumb? I thought you were smart. And I'm like, I, yeah, I mean, you gotta be a little bit, bit crazy to, you know, continue to push forward. So I think I'm a little bit of both, but, um, you know, when Brandy Stewart was here, she was a part of the, the selection committee. And so she taught me um, kind of like what it looks like from if you have team A and team B and they're next to each other, What's going to push either one forward to get in? And first and foremost, it's well, what's the you know the the ranking of the opponents you're playing, right? So your strength of conference, um, the RPI of those people, and so with that, we kind of look at those things, and it's tough. Like you know, last year we had some opponents on the schedule that, I mean, one team had two pitchers leave, and both of them were playing in postseason. One went to the championship game of the World Series. So, um, you know, it's tough to do that as early as we schedule out, but um, we're, we're playing, trying to play the toughest competition that we can. Cause like you said, the American um, you can't, you can't sleep on the American either, you know, cause every team that we play, the games were competitive and I don't care if they were preseason ranked seventh in our conference. Um, you play them three games. It's, it's tough. You know, they're, they've got a lot of talent in our conference. So we try to play the toughest schedule we can. Um, I wanted to go play at Oklahoma State because you know we're gonna eventually be there. And I didn't want the first time we played there to be in our conference, you know, when we're trying to figure out going into the Big 12. Cause traditionally you'll see like across the board some teams and, and universities that'll enter a new um, a new conference. And they'll be, you know, at a high level and then they kind of dip down a little bit, and come back up. And I'm trying to just keep us at this consistent pace. So I want us to feel that pressure and kind of feel like people trying to chisel away at us during season so that we can be at our strongest at the
1: end of the year. You mentioned Brandi Stewart, who's an executive senior associate AD over at Texas Tech, working with the softball program now. I mean, um. Open with Georgia. I remember the UCF-Georgia season opener last year. That was a fantastic game. Looking forward to this one as well. That one's on, on Thursday, February 9th. But you've got Georgia and Ohio State at home, a game against Missouri. You're headed to Clearwater, which, folks, if you want a, a really good introduction to softball, um, Clearwater is pretty much always on an ESPN channel, even if it's ESPN Plus, the the weekend that goes on. Just put that on. Just put it on for the weekend and sit back and watch. It is the best softball. It is just a collection of the best teams. You guys are going to have I mean, Michigan, A&M, Duke, Alabama, Mississippi State. Four of those teams are ranked. you got Louisiana coming to town. As you mentioned, three games in Stillwater against Oklahoma State plus a couple against Arizona State. And then, of course, conference play, which you get South Florida and Houston at home. That's nice. That That's a good feeling. You get Wichita State at home too. You get... Now's what I'll deep dive in the AAC. You get all the... Man, that's kind of nice. Coach? Yeah. You get, well... <laughs> We were talking about that when we won
4: last year. I was like, "We played all the top teams at their place last year." I didn't even think about that. Like in the moment, you're just scouting and playing and doing all that. But we literally accomplished everything on the road. It was pretty amazing for a team that is used to staying at home and playing at home quite a bit.
1: So that's gonna be nice. That'll be that'll <laughs> be nice this year. Uh, yeah, not not necessarily maybe easier, but it certainly is uh, more fun to play in front of the home crowd against the tough teams than the than the road count. Coach, I mean I'm I'm excited for this season. I I, I can't wait for you guys to get to the big twelve. Obviously, um I'm I'm excited for what you're gonna do there. But I mean just how how does the team feel right now? We're we're roughly a week away from the season officially starting. How much what's the anticipation level at right now?
4: Yeah, um, you know, we I think we're still kind of in that grind mode. Um, you know, that I'm seeing people when I maybe I'm going off to a meeting and come back. They're kind of doing lonely work still. And I'm like, why don't they take some time off and be human beings for a little bit? But they're definitely, you know, figuring themselves out. We still haven't figured out what the actual starting lineup is. Um, having as much talent on this team as we do, it's it's very difficult. Um, so they're still figuring those things out, but um, just really fine tuning things and talking about the things to come so we can get through it. You know, the first weekend, like you said, is going to be, it's going to be an emotional weekend, you know, playing Georgia after the way that game ended last year. Um, I, I We talk about, you know, people could pump that game up and make it what, you know, bigger than it is. And I'm like, Hey, it's still just the very first game of our, our season. And after that game, you know, we continue to move on. So um just really making it one game, <clears throat> one game at a time, excuse me, you know, Boise State, that's also an emotional time. Like, that's where I came from. Um, Ohio State, uh, one of our um, staff members that was on our team last year is now at Ohio State. So, you know, there's all those things that we're going to go through that are kind of like off the field or in between, you know, the game within the game that we're going to get to face. And I I love it. And I love talking about it and not like not approaching it. Right. So I love talking about what is that going to look like? What is it going to feel like? How are we going to respond? Um, so that's kind of where we're at right now. We're, we're talking about those things, but then also referring as we're just going to play against our best selves. So I, I don't have like a great, you know, awesome answer to give to you that that's where we are right now. Um, getting after it, making sure we're getting enough sleep and eating and getting our treatment in, but um, they're pushing hard and in the weight room, they are not acting like it's season right now. And I love it because we're going to be the strongest we can be at the end of the year.
1: That's awesome. Uh, I want to wrap on this kind of a question about just college softball in general and the and the direction it's going. Obviously, the NCAA um, Division Council announced that that uh, they will allow for a fourth full-time position in softball. I know that's something that a lot of coaches have been advocating for for some time. Where do you kind of stand on on this decision and, and, and your thoughts about how about UCF will handle it moving forward? Well,
4: I mean, UCF and Terry Mahajer has always put us in a really competitive um, stance. So I, I envision us, um, you know, we're, we're living in the moment right now, but I envision us being prepared to be at the top of the big 12, um, next year. You know, he wants to be in the top half, top half, top third when it comes to resources, um, as soon as we can. Um, so I envision that as far as, you know, the ruling on that, I, I think it's amazing. I think it's, it's much needed, um, you're seeing teams and roster sizes that are bigger um, and each, you know, each athlete on that roster should feel like they're getting some time. So to be able to have a full time um, fourth coach is much needed. It's it's about time. Um, and I think we should still keep pushing more. I know, you know, the the fifth coach got turned down, but I don't see why we don't keep pushing that, because I think our, our sport deserves it. Baseball deserves it. Um, and it's showing with, you know, like you said, um, the viewers really see softball as one of those big time um, sports. Just, it's fun. It's a lot of action. It's, um, you know, in in a small period of time and uh, it's continuing to grow and just seeing what these women can do athletically is amazing. So, um, I hope that we continue to keep looking on and in, into funding and, and getting the specialized coaches that we can
1: for our sport. Yeah. I would argue softball is the fastest growing from a, a viewership and a fan standpoint. I think it's just going to keep growing because it's, it's incredible what happens at Oklahoma city, what happens in regionals. I don't, I'm like post-season baseball and softball to me is like right after March madness is it's you get those regional games going all day. It's a ton of fun to watch. Super regionals are exciting. OKC is awesome. Like I Softball is fun. Um, postseason is incredible. I, this is, this sport is on the rise, and I'm I'm excited to see you guys rising with it.
4: No, I appreciate that. It's a lot of fun to be a part of, and see where it's gone since even you know when
1: I was in college. So, Coach, appreciate your time today. Uh, good luck to your to your ladies this season, and I hope to have you on again soon. Awesome. Thank you
4: so much.
3: Podcast Network.